ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 114. Today, we're talking about sales funnels. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hello, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so we're here today to talk about sales funnels. We've been getting a few questions from our Soulful MBA community lately about this concept. And it's something that we talked about early on in the podcast, our personal distaste and dislike of the metaphor of sales funnels. But we're going to just sort of today talk through what sales funnels are, how we use them, how we think of them differently so they're not actually sales funnels in our minds so that we can feel better about the whole process and maybe a little more holistic. And yeah, so that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, I think there's, we did, as you said, have questions about sales funnels. And I think it's really sort of digital marketing jargon and it's intimidating and people don't understand it. So we're going to run through, yeah, we're going to discuss it and just give uh, give you guys our views on it because I think it's a little bit different than what most people, how most people talk. So let's talk about, Jenny, what is a sales funnel in the most simplest of definitions? Yeah. So think about what a funnel looks like as I'm saying this because we're in an auditory experience right now, so I can't draw it for you, but think about the shape of a funnel, right? You put a funnel over a small necked mason jar and you're pouring something from a bigger container into a smaller container, right? So it's 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 this tool that's used to transfer something from a big container to a smaller container. And a sales funnel is essentially the series of steps that potential customers take on the way to purchasing something from you. So it's essentially a customer journey. It's a way of thinking about a customer journey where you're approaching this big, wide market and you're trying to get people's attention and only a small number of those people are ultimately going to sign up for whatever you have to offer. I think it's a helpful construct in many ways to think about this as a funnel because the truth is, is that the customer journey, you're taking people from this big C and you're taking them through this journey and only this tiny little percentage of little sea creatures is going to go into your business, into your offer, into your product or program or service. Right. And I think, yeah, like so it's like the step. So initially, that initial contact, it's to a wide, a lot of people. They hear that initial mes- message, but 
you funnel it down to a very select few that are going to purchase. So it's from awareness to purchase. And so it's often talked about or discussed in three different steps. So the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, and the bottom. So the top, of course, is where you are simply trying to raise awareness. Like, hey, I'm here. I have a business. Do you know about me? This is the widest part. This is where you're going to attract those initial followers or potential customers. And then the middle is where someone has shown some interest, like, oh, this is interesting. They may have clicked, they may have done a, you know, signed up, they may have commented on Instagram or, you know, any kind of action that they're interested in what you are talking about, what you are, you know, selling or what your product or or service is. So you've narrowed it down to those that are of interest, have some interest in the middle. And then the bottom is even smaller. Those still in the funnel at the bottom are those who are about to purchase or who have purchased. So those are the three kind of steps. And once they've dripped through the funnel into the little small-necked mason jar, then they're your customers. And so the reason why this is helpful to think of is because we often, it's confusing to think about marketing, right? And marketing is not that hard. You're sharing a message, you're sharing an opportunity, you're sharing an offer to a lot of people, and you're hoping that some percentage of those people will buy. But the, the funnel piece of this, the piece that we want you to think about today are what are the steps along the way that people need to take in order to purchase from you ultimately. And I think that this three-step process is a gross, gross oversimplification. That's part of the reason that we don't love it. I also think that it's assuming that that's, you know, this is the the critique, Sandy, that you and I have had all along, that this funnel analogy is assuming that the only goal of your business or what you're putting out in the world is to get somebody to ultimately drip through and purchase. And I I would argue that's not true. Like that's a, a primary goal, right? If you have a business, a primary goal is to get sales and to make money. But there are lots of other things your business is doing in the marketplace, right? You are showing an example of how it's possible to run a business in the world. That's something that we take very seriously as a goal for our company. You are potentially raising awareness about certain issues that your business addresses that's causing people to think differently about the way they live their lives. Like There are a lot of things that you're doing as a business or as a business owner that don't necessarily siphon perfectly into this goal of a sale. And I think that that's part of the reason why this funnel analogy is so just off-putting, right? Because it's just saying that that's the only, that's the only thing to focus on or that's the, that's the ultimate singular endpoint of a customer journey. And I really strongly push back against this. So I agree with you, but I do think it's somewhat helpful to give people this sort of basic, simple framework to start thinking about what is their customer journey? Because pre-internet, you know, if you had a brick and mortar store, the funnel would be super shallow. There wouldn't be very many steps. You'd have a sign, you'd have a radio ad, you have a print ad, you have a TV ad. That's the awareness part. And then the middle part was basically missing because you, you know, they may have seen you or heard you or driven by you on their way to work. And then they're, you know, in their mind, they're like, oh, I got to stop there. I got to stop there. But then there's no way for you to measure that or know that that's happening. And then ultimately they'd end up in your store or your studio or your gym. And then, you know, customer service has to take over from there to to result in in a sale. So you have so many, so much more data uh, on, online digitally you have so many more steps that you can look at and that you can you know nurture and and help and advise and give out free content that will help them through that journey but i think historically and maybe it's just my age but historically we didn't have that a very long journey for our customers to bring them into brick and mortar it was just like here's a sign here's an ad 
and they'd have to see it multiple times, multiple times, and then they end up in the store. But now online, it's a little bit different because that there's this awareness piece with social, with website, with you know, going on a podcast, being interviewed or whatever. And then you can get them through these different steps with an opt-in, with email sequences. And you know if they're reading it if or not, you know if they're clicking or not. And so you can really, you know, finely tune your messaging, your marketing to have the biggest impact. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and I just wanna I just wanna point out though, so back in the olden days, in, in my mind, the the earliest sort of creators of the sales funnel were the people who were doing direct mail, right? Like it was those famous copywriters, those madmen era kind of guys. And it was sending a series of mail in a sequential order to people who had been targeted demographically. And ultimately, TV commercials did the same thing, right? Because there's ways of targeting who's watching which TV shows on which networks. And I think it's this idea that you're taking people on a journey to purchase. And so that's the earliest form that I know of, of sort of sales funnels being implemented. But now we're in this place, as you're saying, Sandy, where there's so much data and so much opportunity to connect with people out in the ether, right out on the internet, through social media, through email marketing, what have you, that you can really be quite aggressive with trying to reach out to people. And I think that our fear is that as sales funnels get more sophisticated, if they're not done with a ton of intention, they start to to become coercive or at least to feel coercive and manipulative. And like as someone moves down the funnel, so the, the big awareness of the brand piece isn't very coercive. It's like, hey, we exist. Here's some cool stuff we're doing. Here's something you can have or learn for free. I mean, here's this great we're a great brand. Look at us. And then, but as people sign up for your email list or start to follow you on social media, that messaging typically becomes more and more aggressive. The farther that people move down the funnel, it becomes more high pressure, more aggressive. And that's that starts to feel uncomfortable, I think, for us as business owners, as marketers, uh, maybe not for everyone. And so I think that the antidote, however, I mean, we have our whole theory that we're going to talk about here. But the antidote really is, as, as you're pointing out, Sandy, is to use the data and the analytics to make sure that you're giving the right people the right messages because that prevents that sort of coercion and aggression to me. Because if you're sending people what you already have a strong sense to know that they want, it's not necessarily aggressive. But when you're just blanketing and blasting people with overpowering messages, then that's when it starts to feel not right, quite right. Yeah, I agree with the coercion. And 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 I think that's that, you know, as Jennifer Armbrust talks about like that male economy, that's what that is, is just like sale at, the, at all costs, like push, 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 you know, it's a lot of shaming people into buying. It's all that nonsense that we want no part of. So there has been a newer concept that's sort of come forward in recent years, and that's the flywheel. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to understand it. We, we've been talking a little bit about the flywheel in our paid community inside of Soulful MBA. It's something, there's a great HubSpot blog post that we'll link to on the topic. But it's just this idea that that this linear customer journey of a funnel is is not quite right because part of the way brands do business is that they're hoping to have repeat customers, right? And so if you're just driving people hard-nosed through this little tiny opening and you're forcing, forcing them down through the opening, through the funnel, then the likelihood is that you're you're missing this chance to have a holistic way of looking at your customer and your customer journey. And it's really a circular 
process. It's like a spiral or a circle or a wheel or whatever you want to call it. it. It's regenerative. It's something that is it continues on beyond that first push. So for example, with a sales funnel, like this whole idea is that you put people in at the top, you attract them through social media or you attract them through some sort of offer. And then you basically pound them through email marketing and ads and social media marketing until they buy. And if they and, and like the goal is either to irritate them enough that they go away or that they buy from you. I mean, that is what we were taught to do. And to me, that's problematic because there's people who who for whom are really intrigued by you and your brand, but the time isn't right to purchase. You don't want to push those people until they unsubscribe off your email list. What you want to do is you want to you want to interact with them in a way that feels right right to them and gives them the space and the time to make the decision to purchase when and if it's right for them without totally alienate them if they alienating them if they don't buy the second you want them to buy right and so this flywheel concept starts to move towards that because it starts to you instead of thinking of the customer journey as a linear funnel you're starting to think of it as a wheel or a circular arrangement. I don't need I'm not going to totally get into flywheel cuz it's a little bit complicated. You kind of need to look at the picture to see what it looks like. We'll link to this blog post. But just know that it's it's starting to th- to to get to the point where this metaphor is representing something that's more holistic. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. So what we've done over the last couple of years is we, we have constantly, between the two of us, have these conversations and you know, have struggled with this idea of just like, as you said, pounding them until they buy. That's not how we want to operate. So we've kind of come up with this idea that's maybe kind of combines these two a little bit is that this idea of an empire that you and I, Jenny, we're empresses in our own empire. And we are building this business with the idea that we are putting out, we think some really great free content Anyone who wants to come and join our empire is more than welcome, whether they buy or not, they can join our land, if you will. And then ultimately, there will be a select few that come further and further and further into the empire. And those are our paid students, our paid our paid teachers, our, you know, the teachers on Namastream, the Soulful MBA, they're in a circle. And so, but we're not going to ignore the others that are in our empire. We're going to continue to nurture them and send them some love and keep educating them. And if they want to leave the empire, they can, but it is not this sort of linear process or certainly it's not a short-term process. This is a long-term relationship building. And if they want to stay on the outskirts of the empire and just hang out there and watch and learn and listen fabulous. And if they don't ever take any action, no problem. Right? Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And we did a whole podcast episode on this concept. It was early on in our show. It was episode 22. And we'll link to that in the show notes. But you can just go back to episode 22 of our podcast and listen to us when we were just starting to think through this concept. I actually think, Sandy, this would be a fun thing to explore this year is further building out this theory of empire because I think the flywheel theory to me isn't still isn't the right fit. And I think empire still feels right. But the, there's this idea, though, that you're, again, your business is not just comprised of the single end goal, right? Your goal is to build something that flourishes and and makes 
money for you, but also puts good out into the world. And I think those things often go hand in hand. And so you don't have this this singular goal. You have this bigger picture goal, this longer term vision for what you're building and what you're creating with your brand and your business. And Sandy, let's just sort of walk through the factors that go into empire. Sure. The first is that the empire is yours. So this is, you know, one of the principles in digital artisan is like, don't, you don't have to listen to what other people are doing. You are the leader. You, you've created this land, if you will. And this is where you get to build your business utopia. So whether you want it to be big or small or super complicated or just offer one beautiful service, whatever is, is right for you, that's what you get to do. So it's yours to create and no one else's ideas of success get to influence you. Uh, or to, you know, to ruin it. But on the other side of that, you are entirely responsible for its structure and its functioning. Yep. So I love this. I mean, in what other sphere other than as an entrepreneur, do you get to create an empire? Maybe as a parent, you can sort of pretend like you're in control of this, but you're not. So that's tenet one of our empire theory of the customer journey. And tenet two is find your tribe. And I just want to say that this is a problematic term. So we... We know this, and I know some people opt not to use that analogy. So we're working on coming up with a better analogy for this one. But it's this this idea that what you're building is customer-centric or user-centric, or it's really focused on serving a group of people and serving them really well. You're building your entire business based on the needs, desires, and pain points of your quintessential clients. And so it's not about, I feel like doing this, I'm going to go make this thing, and maybe some people will come join me. I mean, that's not really what our theory of business works like. I mean, it's about like, what can I make in the world that also, that I really feel called to make, but also is driven and informed constantly and flexible based on what this group of people really needs. And that's not just to sound airy-fairy here. I mean, this really is what makes you money. Because as long as you have people who are devoted to what you're selling, you're going to make money, right? So keep in mind that the core tenant of this is really a customer-centric approach. And the third tenant is to take the long view. Again, one of the principles in the digital artisan you have to give your business or empire time to grow into something. So if you think that you are going to, you know, create a product, do one email sequence and see some really massive success and growth in a week or four days, or, you know, even a couple months, I think that's that you're, you're not being quite truthful with yourself. So really, really give yourself a good year, if not, you know, two, three years to really make it substantial. And, I think that is one of the common mistakes is that people listen to what's happening out there on the internet and they expect ridiculous growth very quickly. And I don't think it's it's true for the most part. So give yourself time to grow, give yourself time to stumble and learn, figure things out, fail, succeed. And if you're sort of, if you think, if you look at the numbers, you know, after one year, after two years, not after two months, I think you'll be much happier in the long view. Yeah, I think that's right. And I just want to say that there are stories on the internet, some of which are true, of people striking gold very quickly. I mean, there are people who get lucky on the internet. Timing 
is worth a lot. But I will also say I've noticed because we've been doing this for so long, Sandy, now that we've seen a lot of people kind of fizzle out, right? Like mm-hmm. people who who are who what, thought in were the doing music really indus- well. Yeah. People who are in the music industry, like the analogy is like one hit wonders, right? Like that's it. That was your that was your moment. <laughs> and because I think when you play this game of business in a way that is singularly focused on pushing a sale, it's really easy to alienate people. And so you need to be building this reservoir of trust and generosity and your reputation is worth a lot. And that takes us in 2.4, tenant four. Yeah, which is generosity, which you just said. So it's that strength comes not from coercion, but from operating in that spirit of giving. So even if you somebody reads your free content on your blog or listens to your podcast without buying, you don't know what ripple effects are happening out there. So maybe they are sending customers. Maybe they'll send one customer and that customer to you, like lifetime value is enormous. Um, so don't ignore those that aren't purchasing because um, you don't know what's happening and that's how you operate in a, in a space of generosity. Um, you invite everyone into your empire and everyone who shows interest can get something of value from you and you can feel really good about operating like that in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's right. And you don't know too, like, again, sales are not the only goal. So somebody may be listening to your podcast or signing up for your free cleanse and maybe they're never going to buy anything from you, but their best friend is a writer at the New York Times. And then you get featured in the New York Times Magazine on Sunday. Like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's connected to whom, what people are talking about. So this idea of a singular focus in terms of an end goal of your business is destructive because of that. Okay, and then the final element of this empire model is that you're the ruler. And so you're, you need to constantly establish your own authority and you lead with integrity, with authenticity, with grace. This is kind of dipping into this concept of servant leadership, which I would love to have another whole conversation about, Sandy, on the podcast. But it's about stepping up, playing big, and embracing your responsibilities that you have as a business owner, as an entrepreneur to not only your paying customers, but the community of people that come in contact with your brand. Yeah. I like being the ruler, to be honest. I like that, the authority that that comes (laughs) comes with it. So yeah, there you have it. That's sort of our take on funnels, why we don't like the word. And just know too, like when we talk about funnels and empires, it does not have to be complicated. It can be a very short and simple but beautiful process for your potential clients to 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 move through so it does not does not have to be complicated yeah and there's there's often an education component and so to me that's a great opportunity to start to cultivate the servant leadership in yourself because when people first come in contact with your brand they have no idea who you are what you do and you have this really great opportunity to take them on this journey and educate them and there's intrinsic value in playing that role and serving in that role so So yeah, so that's sales funnels. I'm sure that there are questions. You can always go into our Facebook group if you have questions or want to talk about these concepts more. It's Soulful MBA on Facebook. And let's dive into the joy and hustle. So Sandy, I think you had a joy for us. Yeah, I have a joy. So for Christmas, I received a book from my sister-in-law and she is one who reads so much. And so she always has the best recommendations for books. This book is called Roar, 30 Women, 30 Stories by Cecilia Ahern, A-H-E-R-N. 
And I, I, it's so it's 30 short stories about different women. And I didn't quite understand it when I first started reading it because they're kind of ridiculous. I'm like, what? What is this? But really, it's like Aesop fables for women. So it's like these, these sort of ridiculous, they're not realistic stories, but they're sort of take place in modern age. And a woman will be, uh, you know, like she'll find bite marks, for example, bite marks all over her body. And she doesn't know what's going on, but she learns that it's like she's being eaten alive by guilt of, you know, wanting to be with her children, but she has to go to work, but she wants to be at work because she loves her work and it's important to her, but she feels so guilty that she's not with her children. And, but when she's with her children, she feels so guilty that she's not doing the work she needs to be, but she's, so she's literally being eaten alive. And once she wreck it, so these are, so, so they're, they're not realistic. And at first I was like, what? And then I realized what the purpose was. And it was like, oh my God, these are so beautiful. And there, I think there's something about the way that we learn through fables and this this type of storytelling, because sometimes I will have felt one of these emotions that are addressed in the book. And I'm like, oh, it's just like that woman who started eating photographs or whatever the bizarre story was about. So I think it's so beautiful. I think it'd be a really gorgeous gift for some, for a woman in your life. And obviously their short stories are super simple, you know, quick to read, but really, really make you stop and think. Hmm. I love that. I want to check that out. Okay. And the hustle for today is a New York Times article and it's called More Startups Have an Unfamiliar Message for Venture Capitalists Get Lost. And so if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that we've been involved to some degree in the zebra movement. And you'll have to read the article to learn more about that. But essentially, there's a group of four women that created a social movement for running a different kind of startup or a different kind of company that doesn't involve the singular focus on exponential growth. We are of that mindset as well. I think it goes along really well with today's podcast episode about sales funnels and empire building. And this is, I, I feel really proud just knowing that these women have gotten into the New York Times about the work that they're doing, building startups and building companies in a totally different way. And there was one quote in this article that really struck me where this New York Times reporter was interviewing different VC firms about this article. And one guy said, you know, I'm glad that there are other models popping up because I sell jet fuel and not everyone wants to build a jet. And I just thought that that was, that was really profound, right? Like it's a really simple way to think about this concept. Like there, there are these certain ways of doing business that are dominant, or at least culturally dominant, like the way we think of business, but they're not the only way. And I just feel so excited that there are other ways being shared, especially ways that are driven by powerful, creative women out in the world. I love it. It's so true. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you are enjoying the show, head over to iTunes. We would love a rating and review. Tell a friend. All of that support makes such an enormous difference to us. So thanks, everyone. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to Wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. Thank you.